everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Son of Neptune. How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, for a second there, I was worried that, like Percy and Jason, you had like, lost your memories. Just been given amnesia and didn't know how to start the podcast. <laughs> And I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. I, all I remember is <laughs> I, I have, I have this this girl's Discord icon in my memories, and that's that's all I know. <laughs> and I think that I think that she might have been my podcast co-host. This is such a touching and inspiring story. It is. It is. Um, <laughs> oh God. But no, no, my 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 memories are fine. I'm doing fine. I'm exfoliated. My skin is clear. Yeah. My my hair is conditioned. Doing well. Your crops are growing. I have no crops. Ah. Percy Jackson author responds to Camp Halfblood merch question. Yeah, there's no news. Ah, <laughs> uh, speaking of things that there aren't any of, uh, but what there is of. <laughs> this week what the fuck are we saying what the fuck are you uh, don't drag me into this i'm i don't know what's wrong with me i'm summaries summaries all right chapter 29 hazel while floating down the river to seattle hazel finally admits to her friends and well especially to frank that she's an escapee from the underworld she explains her backstory, and when Percy starts to question her about her experience in the underworld, she begins to slip away into another flashback. But because Frank is holding her hand, he comes with her. He sees how she came into the afterlife, how she bargained with the judges so that instead of be- her mom being punished and herself being rewarded, they would both be sent to the in- mindless eternity of Asphodel. And he even sits with her through that eternity of boredom. Eventually, he tells her about his lifelink to the firewood and asks her to hold it for him. But she doesn't feel like she should. Before that conversation can play out more, Nico appears to take her away from Hades, and the flashback ends. Chapter 30 Hazel. Hazel and Frank wake up just in time for their boat, the Pax, to break apart as they arrive in Seattle. Ella tells them that Hazel's flashbacks have officially ended, and then flies away, while the rest of the gang goes to search for Raina's sister, Ia, who Ella previously informed them is an Amazon. Eventually, they come to an Amazon office building, and pretty much immediately get captured, as it turns out that the company Amazon is actually a front for the Amazons of Myth. The kids are taken underground to see Ia, who, as queen, will decree their fates. But when they get there, she's somewhat occupied by a woman named Otrera. Ia tells them about how Percy and Anathus' antics back at Cersei's Island led to her and her sister being captured by the pirates, and eventually I'm going to fight their way to California where they parted ways. Hazel tells her in turn about the situation at camp, pleading for help, but Otrera, apparently the first queen of the Amazons recently brought back to life, says they should abandon that idea and just follow Gaia. Frank and Percy are sent to the Amazon prisons, but after everyone else is dismissed, Ia keeps Hazel behind, saying that she needs help before she's killed. Chapter 31, Hazel. Ia explains the situation. Altrera, a daughter of Ares, not Mars, has declared she will challenge Ia for the throne in a duel to the death. However, because she's effectively immortal due to Gaia's intervention, she can just continue to challenge every single night until she actually wins. To prevent this, they conspire to have Hazel break the guys out of prison and then escape using... Arion, a violent horse the Amazons have caged up, 
who Hazel recognizes as the horse she saw back in Alaska while she was still alive. He eats gold, and she can summon gold, so she's the only one he actually likes. Oh, and yeah, he's a son of Neptune. After that, they'll go to free Thanatos so that Atreya won't be able to challenge anymore, and all Ea has to do is win a duel with the original Queen of the Amazons every single night until the gang wins the quest. Chapter 32 Hazel Kenzie, one of the Amazons still loyal to Ea, brings Hazel to the jail so she can begin the breakout. Hazel controls all the package jewelry lying around to attack and trap the prison guards, giving her the opportunity to bust Percy and Frank out. They get their confiscated stuff and fight their way out. Hazel hops onto the horse, Arion, and they attach a chariot to him, and they gallop through Seattle and eventually straight over the Puget Sound at sonic speed. So Jane, what'd you think of the chapters this week? I... I feel kind of like Dr. Manhattan, where he's, he's, sit, he's sitting on Mars doing his little sad thing, just being like, I, 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 I tire of these little children and their road trips of being caught in the tangle of their, their little lives. Oh no. Is this, <laughs> is this where like you reveal that you're leaving the podcast? Or? No, no, no. This is, this is where I reveal that I'm kind of bored of the road trip format, and I think that's why I've been so hard on this book so far. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that. I just... This this chapter kind of... I don't know if this is like anything specific about this is what made me finally put my finger on this, but like, I really feel like the road trip thing is kind of limiting the complexity of plots that we can get. Where we can basically only have... Like, a very small cast of characters parachuted into, like, episodic situation after episodic situation. And it just... I don't know, it it limits the amount of interesting stuff that you can do from, like, a plot perspective, I guess. I I think you're completely right, actually. I think this entire (laughs) book and all the most interesting elements of conflict here could have taken place just, like, at camp, mostly. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, like, we, we passed up a murder mystery earlier yeah. on. I I feel like that could have... I don't know. There, there could have been so much more at Camp Jupiter around with that as, like, the central plot with, like, everything else that's going on here is almost like a B-plot. That would give us more opportunity to flesh out Camp Jupiter, make it more of, mm-hmm. like, a place that we're invested in, um, and then sort of, like... I don't, I don't know, like... The Thanatos, like, death is gone plot, that's interesting, right? That's that There is interesting stuff there. But mm-hmm. I don't know if it's as compelling to me. Like, I don't know if I need this whole journey of the book to be about, like, we're going to Alaska. Like, the most that I care about that is because it matters to Hazel's backstory and, like, it matters to yeah. Hazel. And so I do still think them going to Alaska again and, like, it being tied up in it being tied up in Camp Jupiter history even, I I just don't think they had to have a whole road trip to get there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's not quite as bad as Lost Hero, where, like, for a good chunk of that book, we just straight up forgot what the main plot was because it was so, like, detached from what was happening. Uh-huh. But, I don't know, I... I feel like even... Just the fact that we have, like, multi-character perspective now, the fact that it's always the same three characters in the same place, like, exacerbates that. That might be why it's, like, I'm noticing it more in Heroes of Olympus. Like, if we were even just getting a little, like, cutaway chapters to Nico doing some something somewhere else, it would give things a little bit of variety, I guess. 
That is true. Plus, like, if we were just at camp, even if we were just with these three characters' perspectives, we could still, like, we would be bouncing off of more characters and, like, yeah. there would be more, like, I guess individual, like, plots happening, if it makes sense. Maybe I would come to tolerate the comedy ghost. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I'm not quite tired of it yet, but, it, like, I am getting there. <laughs> I desperately need the next book to, like, mix it up a bit. Rick Riordan is nothing if not bound by format. I think this is one thing <laughs> we've discovered. Yeah, I mean, because I was worried that it was just, like, me being sick of Rick Riordan as a whole. But, uh, I mean, we've both been reading Big Red Tequila lately. By the way, patreon.com slash unwisegirls if you'd like to uh, eventually listen to our episode on that book. Uh, and that... I mean, that's by him. It's full of Rick Riordanisms, but the format is different enough that, like, I'm still enjoying it. So I think it yeah. is just the road trip thing that's grating on me. It's almost like he's found the formula and, like, won't break away from it. But to me, that's not what's, like, integral about this Percy Jackson stuff. Like, that's not mm-hmm. what matters to me. At the same time, I guess I can see, like, because he was a moderately successful, like, detective book author who then like overnight became like a mega successful children's book author with a road trip book. And so I can see him being like kind of not not willing to pull away from that except for like a book like Last Olympian, which is the only one I can think of that really like breaks from this format. That's true. And I mean like here's the thing. I love detective stories. I haven't read all of the like the Tres Navarre books. Mm-hmm. Um but detective stories were also work based on formula that's true actually that's a very good point so i wonder if this is just like the groove that rick riordan gets into not it makes <laughs> me, it kind of makes me want to read like what are the I, i'm curious about magnus chase first of all i'm also curious about what that new book the daughter of the deep true yeah because i think that all just takes place at like a school or something right okay that that sounds interesting that sounds like the kind of thing I would like more of now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like a marine biology school? It's been a while since we've looked into that. Mm-hmm. God fucking damn, I just realized what. What? Oh, I thought you were making uh, a sneaky little reference to us. What the fuck did we... What was that stupid shit we said in the early episode that, like, Iraqi and Rick Ryden were the same person or something? What the fuck? Because oh, George right. Rose is a marine biologist. Right. No, I do remember this. I I do remember this. Wow, it's been a while. No, I think that's just literally the plot of the book, though. Uh-huh. No, I got it. I don't know that. Anyway, sorry for yelling about the format of the book. I think it's fine. Like, we've read so many of these. I think it's part of the experience. Like, at some point, the formula is either going to, like... It's either going to be broken or it's going to stick around. So we'll have to talk about it eventually. That's true. I, I guess we're on like, this is like the 10th one of these we've read. Uh-huh. And like, we've done that in just over a year or like a year and a half, which is not the intended reading experience, TM. No, no, it's not. And the Kane Chronicles <laughs> were the same shit also. Oh, absolutely. That, that was also road trip bullshit. Now here's a different formula. Uh, are you are you tired of the um the the quirky like Greek myth intermeshing with modern day stuff? Uh, I think this is by far the worst example of it we've ever seen. 
I think it's amazing, but go on. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's amazing in that it's kind of insane. Yes. But what what is he trying to say? Rick, what are you what what are you trying to say here? So this was written in like what 2011? Yeah, I think. Was was talking about Amazon as like a horrific like worker destroying labor malpractice like institute of depravity like as in vogue as it is nowadays or has been the past few years? I I don't think it was. I because if I, if I can cast my mind back to those days accurately, there was like there was a strain of humor which was like, oh, in the future we'll be living in the Google Republic and they'll be going to war with like the the Kingdom of Amazon or some shit. Uh huh. That was kind of you know the joke was that you made fun of how weird it would be if like corporations turned into cyberpunk mega corporations. Right. And I would say it's only in the past five or so years that that stopped being as funny because it actually happened. Yeah. Like, it became more obvious that that was what was happening. So I don't I don't think this was deliberate commentary. It It's strange because if it's... Okay, the thing that we're presented with here is an Amazon... Amazon run by Amazons. Amazon is run by women, first of all. Um, uh-huh. Not uh, Jeff Bezos. It's Jeff. Maybe there's some stuff we don't know, but uh, <laughs> Amazon is a front for like funding the like Amazon takeover of the world, sort of, or like sending supplies to Amazons across the world. And not only that, but the people who work in the Amazon factories are are all like chained up men. They have a cast of male slaves. And, well, there's... Okay, it's specifically said that they're not slaves. Uh, It's specifically said that they're not slaves by the people who own the slaves. Well, I want to call this out because it's a very... (laughs) It's very specifically worded. And, like, they're not slaves. They just know their place. What does that mean? I, I think that is just bullshit because it also specifies that they're wearing orange jumpsuits. So yeah, like, it's like, to, to me, this reads as like, oh, the Amazons are bussing in prison labor, which is slavery. Yes, exactly. Fucking exactly. Like That's the imagery <laughs> this evokes. But also the wording of like, they just know their place implies it's voluntary. Yeah. Dare I say it? Are they like subs? Like, are they just like... <laughs> Just like, is there just like a legion of guys who are like, I want women to step on me, and so they go to work in the fucking Amazon factories? The the problem is that like, I I can see that read because there's also a part where like um, Hazel is talking to um, here, and uh, I think Kinsey is the other Amazon guard. Yeah, and um, they're like explaining the difference between them and the Hunters of Artemis, and the distinction is apparently that the Hunters of Artemis forsake all male company. Uh, the Amazons, uh, meanwhile, uh, just like men who know their place, or words to that effect. So it it sounds like a, a femme domination. Is I guess the... so. The 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 Chad lesbians versus the I don't know. Um, <laughs> Virgin slave owning straight women. Christ, Christ. <laughs> um, God, imagine being fucking like okay. 
there's a lot to unpack here. Um, this is just weird. It's strange. Is it commentary? I don't know. Also, why does Ia, who like was just captured and maybe enslaved by pirates, like why has she then become the queen of the Amazon slave owners? I, yeah. Why did she just immediately do a role reversal on that? So she copes. I guess so. Hey, also, I'd like to talk about the way that uh, he specifically, um, uh, like, talks about being captured by the pirates. Okay. Where she says that uh, Reyna and I had to learn to fight, otherwise she shuddered. Yeah, that... Hey, um... What you, what you trying to imply there, buddy? Rick Riordan is, like, implying sexual menace here. Like, yeah, like, there's not a lot of good things that can happen if you're captured by pirates. Frankly, like, I I just, this is not what I, I don't know. Children's series can tackle serious topics, and sometimes it's important to write about them. I don't know if I want to, like, think about that when I'm reading my Percy Jackson book, though. And also the optics of, like... That that potentially happened to her, and the way she copes with it is by keeping a bunch of male slaves. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which, like, we're just reading a lot into it, I guess, in the second part, but... No, I we're not reading a lot it. into it, it's right there on the page. <laughs> no, I, what am I saying? Oh, God. It's pretty badass when she's like, oh, I'm gonna just fucking duel every single night and win all the time, though. That's kind of cool. Yeah, the, like, the political situation that the kids are being parachuted into here is actually pretty, like, cool and interesting. It's like a civil war brewing. That's fun. Mm-hmm. It's, so far, when it comes to, like, people are revived by Gaia, and then they cause, like, bad things to happen. It's mostly just been, like, people are revived by Gaia, and then they uh, try to fight you. Or, like, they are... Yeah, it's are... just an excuse to put Midas in the story or something. Exactly. Like, they're static sort of NPC encounters. Here, mm-hmm. it's like, you're right, it's a charged up political situation, which is not how these have been handled yet, and I think that's cool. Especially because, like, it grapples with the consequences of, like, the enemy can come back from the dead. Which is like, well, there's no law against dueling someone to the death multiple times. So, uh, suck it up. Right, exactly. I do think that, um, here really has, like, a lot to learn in terms of being, like, a proper authoritarian. Uh-huh. Like, sure, you you can't kill Atrera, uh, but you can kill her supporters, ban their organizations, and lock them up. I'm not saying she should do this, but I'm saying that if she's trying to be a dictator of a little Amazon nation, this is what should be on the docket. Yeah, she really should. Like, there's no reason not to. <laughs> like, she's evil. Like, get yeah. rid of the evil ones. I mean, is it, is it a slippery slope? They're all slope? evil. They all yeah. have slaves. Yeah. I, I mean, okay... I don't know. It's fascinating. It's fucking is, fascinating. Is slavery going to be a theme in this book? It seems like it should be, but it, it won't be. It won't be. Because Phineas mentioned it in the last set of chapters. Yeah. Like, he brought up the, like, Rome ran on slavery. Right. And then in this one, we get, like, a modern incarnation of an, a Roman myth, like, running off of modern-day slavery. That feels like it should be building up to commenting on something. Yeah, I just don't see a world where it is. It'd be cool. yeah. I guess that could be cool if it is, but I don't know. 
Also, I, I don't think Rick has it in him to like comment on the fundamental injustices of the capitalist economic system. I don't think that's on on something that he wants to do. No. Also, another interesting way that the Amazons are positioned differently than the hunters of Artemis mm-hmm. is that the Amazons are explicitly like both Greek and Roman, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it is weird and it's it's also like we know that the camps have been split apart and that they are like forced to marry the two shall meet and such. But the mm-hmm. fact that there are still like groups that are outright like I just, both parties mixed together is, is like I don't know. It is a bit weird because you would think they would just be like, "Oh, well, I guess they can't just like split the Amazons apart. That would probably do something wrong, right?" Mhm. Yeah, Michael, some sort of Amazon civil war. Thank God uh-huh. that never happen. Oh God. Wait, what's the joke here? Oh, right, the thing that's happening in the book right now. <laughs> okay, I understand. Uh and now that I think about it, it's literally between the the Roman faction and the evil Greek faction. Oh yeah, you're right. Huh? I guess the Greeks are all evil. Sorry, Percy. <laughs> I mean, fucking who knows? Maybe that's true. We haven't talked much about, like, Hazel's uh, first chapter, though, which I think is... It, it's kind of self-contained a little bit. Uh-huh. She has... We basically get what is implied to be her final flashback as she works mm-hmm. through her remaining memories of, like, after she died and her afterlife experience. Um, but this time with Frank to go with it through her. Uh, go through it with her. I guess he also through her goes with goes with her to it, but you know what I mean. Uh-huh. A lot of going through it. Exactly. There's everyone's going through it this this fucking time, <laughs> um, and I think to me this really does just prove that Hazel has the fucking purest heart in the world. I Hazel needs a hug. Fucking hell. Yeah. Like. She willingly gave up her place in Elysium to save her mom from the fields of punishment, which, from everything we've read, uh, that sounds frankly appropriate. Because <laughs> it, it really doesn't sound like it was just Gaia's influence from everything we heard about in, like, in the early Hazel chapters. Yeah, it's definitely like, she was manipulated, and she had a bad mm-hmm. life, but also, like, the cycles. Uh-huh. It's, it's, she seems like she was also just kind of a shitty person. Which, I don't know. I, are we then saying that, like, punitively, if you're a shitty person, you deserve to be tortured forever? <laughs> like, what does that, what does that mean? Are we, I guess, are we be- uh-huh. it, it reads kind of weirdly to me because, like, Hazel kind of symbolically forgives her mother without her mother doing anything on her end. Like, there's, right. there's no reconciliation. Like, if th- this kind of thing would make sense if, like, uh, there there had been at least, like, one big conversation between the two where they hashed everything out. Because, I mean, that's not how it works in real life, but for, like, a novel, I don't know. I feel like Haz- Hazel kind of forgave, forgave too easily to the point where I'm thinking, is it part of her art going to be, like, learning to stand up for herself? Well... I agree that it's like she is forgiving too easily and that seems like I don't know if it's intentional but it seems intentional and so far mm-hmm. as like I I think if you're a child who is like was being abused a month ago 
then and also mm-hmm. you're just like in the midst of that the uh, sorry not a month ago like a day ago yeah, this is like 20 minutes after her mother's actions caused a cave roof to collapse on her head and kill her i think you're probably going to be pretty prone to forgiving like i think you've probably gotten used to forgiving at this point so it probably comes mm-hmm. pretty easy to her um and that's i mean that's bleak right that's that's like uh. a, a very stark realistic thing but also, I would, I would be interested in a Hazel character arc that is like investigating the aftermath of that. Like, what it, like, what does the trauma do to you? Like, because for me, it seemed like it was manifesting through like these flashbacks in a way. Hmm. But now it seems like those are over. Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess that means she's cured. The trauma's gone. I, I guess so. But like. Through the power of love, she just had to find the right boy, and she would no longer be traumatized. <laughs> no, but I don't want to be so flippant about it. I guess, like, it seems. I I think mostly I'm like kind of confused because it kind of I thought the like assumption was that my assumption rather, I think my assumption was that she had been going through the memories over and over again, like ever since she'd been returned to life. Yeah, like, whenever she thinks about a specific incident too hard, that's when she, like, blacks out and returns to it. Like, I I guess I thought it was, like, a narrative, just sort of a narrative convenience that we started at the first part and then ended the last part. But it, more so, it seems to be, like, they actually, she actually is cycling through them just this once. But uh-huh. that also kind of doesn't make sense. I'm not sure how to, how it I don't know because the way Ella phrases it is like you've now fully gone through all I mean she doesn't say it exactly like this but Mm -hmm. she basically says like now that you've gone through all of your memories you're done doing your flashbacks yeah which is it's it's bizarre that like I guess it's just one of those things we have to like suspend your disbelief to be like I guess that's what was happening and I guess we rejoined at just the point where those memories started being relevant to the plot of this book I I suppose so I suppose so it's just very like it feels almost video gamey like oh yeah <laughs> you've you've unlocked all of the fucking tape recorders like you've heard all the tape recorders you don't get to do it anymore I'm god like, yeah no that that really is the vibe but like also the flashbacks are some of my favorite parts in this book that's true so i am kind of sad to see them go i just i don't i don't know what we're supposed to take away from this last one because on the one hand, the the line where Hazel is like, I can't allow myself to think I deserve better seems like so deliberately fucked up and like pointing at Hazel is going to need to, Hazel is going to need to like examine this later. But also like the, the chapters after that are about, it's, it's weird to me that part of Hazel's trial for getting the horse wasn't like getting over that a little, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and... The part of it wasn't being able to say, maybe I do deserve better, maybe I do deserve this horse. Right, 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 because the horse is, was a metaphor, if we remember correctly. Like, uh-huh. The horse was a metaphor, and it also has to be a literal thing, because the first Puts step... Puts the horse we... in my mouth, but doesn't light it. <laughs> God, precisely. <laughs> Big-ass mouth. Um, the, the, like... Like, the first step she took was opening up to people, right? Like, that's... Mm-hmm. Or no, wait. Maybe even the first step is beyond that. Like, 
Hmm. Do you think she chose to go with Nico? Like, do you think, or do you think Nico took her out of the underworld? It, it's unclear from what we see in the, um, in the flashback. It kind of seems like Hazel was so like numb to everything at that point that she didn't really care either way. So Nico just kind of dragged her. So in a sense, like if we're taking the underworld as a metaphor, taking that step out of it is a first step. But Mm -hmm. then opening up about her past to her friends and especially Frank, um, that I guess would be another step in her sort of, I guess, recovery or arc. Um, And you would want, you would want Arion to be another part of that because he represented freedom. He represented like, he represented part of her life that was away from her abusive home. And, I, I struggle with like I struggle with putting into words like do I want her to have to struggle? I don't I don't know. I don't know. I because I mean part of it is you just kinda need to concede to the fact that it's a novel and she needs to have a character arc. Yes. So like from that perspective she does kinda need to struggle for it a little. Like I I don't know, I like I don't think either of us are saying that every situation with like an abusive parent in the series needs to be resolved like Smelly Gabe. Uh-huh. But I, th- this is a very weird way of resolving one. I hope this isn't the resolution. For sure. But also, I kind of like that it's prioritizing Hazel right now as like... Mm-hmm. She's feeling that freedom for the first time. Like this is the That's first true. time. Like, and I think that is like powerful. Like, the, I really love the moment at the end when she is just like galloping through Seattle on Arion's back. It's yeah, it's, the specific part where like she's fighting the Amazons and like the cavalry sword feels right in her hand for the first time. That's a really cool moment. It is. It is. It's um, it's like the first moment that she stepped out of the darkness. I guess, and mm-hmm. that is. Like, like, yeah, it's it's good. And so I think that is going to open us up to further character development, I would say. Like, I hope so. For... It'd be disappointing if she didn't develop for, like, the half a book we have left. That would be disappointing, wouldn't it? I... <laughs> Fuck it, who knows? Rick Riordan can just do anything. He truly will just say and do anything. Hey, speaking of this flashback, though, I wonder how long in eternity they had to, like, they spent together before Frank actually got up the nerve to be like, hey, uh... Can I have this lifelink thing? Uh, I also will reveal my backstory now. Uh, if you lose this or break it, I'll die. Hold on to it, please. I know it's very important to him and that he is, like, learning to accept his feelings. But also, mm-hmm. I feel like this is kind of Hazel's moment. A little bit, yeah. You're kind of overshadowing. I guess he's trying to, like, connect with her and, like, be like, oh, you know, bring her out of all the boredom and the apathy. So that's good, but like, come on, Frank, give it a give it a bit. I guess it's it's maybe a case of like you know it's showing the bond between them now. Like Hazel has opened it up enough that like Frank feels able to put his trust in her about this. Definitely, definitely. I forgot how much of an archetypical Tumblr sexy man Caron was. He is. He is. Yes. He's he's got his fancy suit. He's got his sophisticated British accent. He is. He should have been in the in the final with Reagan Artak and Sans Undertale. No, I was literally just thinking this. He should have fucking won. <laughs> I guess it's because he just doesn't get enough play in these books. He's only been in them like twice. He should be in them more. I'm surprised that there is not more like Ryden vs. fan art that is just like 
Charon reclining in a suit with like sunglasses and like a big ass scythe over his shoulder or something. That would be sick. <laughs> I guess people already just like people already draw the Grim Reaper or Charon or Death or whatever as like obviously those things are not equivalent, but I'm well, I guess the supposed to be the one with the scythe really. I know, sorry. That's true. Does he wait, does does Charon have a scythe here? Uh oh yeah. I don't think he has a scythe, but he does sometimes turn into a skeleton in a robe, and that's pretty deathy. That is, yeah, that's that's the imagery right there. And, mm-hmm. like, I guess people draw death all the time, right? That's true. So I'm sure you could find some pretty spot-on fan art that just isn't actually Percy Jackson fan art. <laughs> Steal it, put it in the show notes, uncredited. Wait a second. Charon turns into a uh-huh. skeleton. Mm-hmm. The... The Tumblr Sexy Man poll was won by Sans. Oh a my skeleton. god. <laughs> so what you're saying is that the Sans is fucking this is Caron's alternate form. I think so. Okay. <laughs> Scare on after not surviving. God fucking damn it. We Did need to move the... on. We need to talk. Hmm? Did you see the fucking Wayne Radio TV uh Spamton thing? I, I saw bits and pieces of it. I saw the the, the Ralsey plush thing where they were calling him like a scringly dingly. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, we do have to move on, though. You're right. We have to move on to... Um... Percy is also going through it in these chapters, just in a more kind of low-key way. Uh-huh. I, I mean, first off, he gets verbally abused by a horse. Uh, he and has to like, relay get... the verbal abuse to Frank. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would say it's even Frank getting verbally abused by a horse who apparently has some... Ri- he calls him, like, you ridiculous Chinese um, Chinese Canadian baby man or whatever. I will trample you, you silly Chinese Canadian baby man, is what he says. It's kind of amazing. And then he says some worse things, too. Which, yeah. <laughs> so Percy is grappling with, like, I can't translate that. I can't say whatever awful shit the, the horse said. Uh, and then has to learn that, like, the horse is as related to him as Tyson is. <laughs> no, wait, okay, we haven't even talked about this yet. It's obvious <laughs> that the son of Neptune is going to be Arian, right? Yes, yes, definitely. Like, Arian is absolutely, like, this is the most obvious turn in the world, like, the most obvious twist. Because mm-hmm. there's, they literally just say the exact words like he's a son of Neptune and Ceres. Like you'd at least be like he's a son of Ceres and Neptune. No, no, he's a son of <laughs> Neptune and Ceres. What is up with Percy's dad? He seems cool and normal whenever Percy talks to him, and then whenever we're hearing about like his other shit, it's like oh he's having sex with nymphs who like leave their cyclops children to die in the streets or he has like a weird god child who lives in the labyrinth and does blood sport or he fucking impregnates someone with a horse i think he's, he's just putting on a face for like custody battles and stuff is this not just what dads are <laughs> uh not in my experience are they not all constantly having affairs with medusa and getting fucking women cursed and shit. God, I just flashed back to the first Percy Jackson movie. Where Matisse uh-huh. is like, I used to date your daddy. 
I used to date your daddy. God. <laughs> what, what a, a fucking perfect, cinematic masterpiece. A perfect movie. A perfect movie. <laughs> they should make more more of those. <laughs> I this this actually I this chapter also supports a theory I came up with a little while ago. Uh-huh. About like Heroes of Olympus must have uh, to some degree had a hand in killing the movies. Just because like you you can't you can't do this in the movies. If you if you somehow got through the entire series and then moved on to Heroes of Olympus, you couldn't do this bit because Hermes in the Sea of Monsters movie runs Amazon. Like we see the warehouse. That's true. Holy shit. They just have to feminize Nathan Fillion. <laughs> Nathan Femillion. Did we I swear to God, we must have like addressed that when we were talking about Firefly for that stupid pilot podcast that we possibly will never release. That's a really good podcast. We have to release that at some point. <laughs> God. Um it'll be on the Patreon probably. Probably. Fucking I I don't know if we I feel like we barely thought Nathan Fillion is like in so many things but he's never been feminized he's never been feminized and we're gonna change that with uh, our, our pilot script for the heroes of olympus tv series exactly i would love i i really just genuinely would love it if they just put out competing movies like with the tv show to try and like make more money yeah i mean i guess that kind of is what's gonna happen right there's gonna be two competing versions of the ride and verse out at the same time because netflix is doing that kane chronicle series Oh, you're right, yeah. I mean, they just cross over, I guess. Uh, I guess they fucking would. Like, Disney will buy Netflix at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is probably. this is the grim, the grim hyper-capitalist dystopia that Rick Ryden accidentally warned us about in these chapters. I mean, we live in a world where the fucking Discovery Channel bought HBO Max, so <laughs> I don't know what will happen anymore. <laughs> It'll never, be the, it'll never be the same again. Anyway, uh, Hazel does, like, some cool-ass metal bending again. She does. She, like... She she is ascending to turning into, like, a coin shot from the Mistborn books at this point. Is that just what it sounds like? Yeah, just the way it's described, like, her sensing all the metal around her is, like, the same way that in those books... Because the way that, like, uh, the magic works in that books is, like... You drink different kinds of metal and it gives you different powers. Uh, and if you drink uh, steel, it gives you the ability to like push on any metal around you. That's and you fucking get, like, cool. These, these like blue lines come out of your chest to any metal nearby, so that you can like sense all of it. Uh, and also, if you just like flip a coin in the air and you can like push it at someone and it's like a bullet. That's fucking cool. Uh, anyway, I want I want Hazel to do that, <laughs> please. I also want cool. her to do that. I, I we're we're increasingly I think we're increasingly going farther and farther away from our very sad ending that we that we posited last time. <laughs> I mean I feel like that would still be narratively satisfying. I guess so. I guess so. Is this well, I thought is about this... I just thought about it again for three seconds now and I was like Maybe killing off the first black and Asian POV characters in the book where they're introduced. Maybe that's not a great idea. This is why I had some hesitation last time. <laughs> it's sad, and there's some pleasure to be taken in sadness, but also, like, maybe not. 
Yeah, give give him at least one book, then give him a tragic death. Uh huh. <laughs> or like I don't know, introduce introduce some earlier so that we don't have to deal with it now. Oh God, and let Percy live forever, of course. The white boy lives. Go white boy, go. Go white boy, go. Oh Christ! <laughs> no, no, they should all live. I, I'm thinking about the fucking Rick Riordan blog post where he talks about people whining about their characters dying now, though. So I'm like, hmm. Oh no. <laughs> I do we have much? Rick, else to you say might about- you might misread some backlash there. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll have to see where this goes. I guess. Uh-huh. Maybe it's just a bunch of Luke stands. It could be. I feel like that's kind of what Heroes of Olympus has been missing so far is a Luke. Like we don't need the exact same thing, but it feels like there's not really like a relatable human face to Gaia's, like, forces. They feel very, very disconnected and alien. I completely agree. I wanted to actually draw a comparison between Ia and Luke, because mm-hmm. they're they're both, like, characters who are... They're, they're characters with a more sympathetic side to them who are, like, in the end still invested in, like, an antagonistic force... Uh, yeah. like, I guess, like, Kronos slash Circe. Yeah, I can see that. But Luke was much more antagonistic. He was very, very antagonistic. I don't know, I've just... I guess it might just be a symptom of, like, because there's so many POV characters now. Like, in, in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, Luke, Luke and Percy are able to have that, like... That like ongoing rivalry that changed and developed over the course of five books until they like finally had that showdown in Last Olympian, and I guess you can't really give people the rival treatment when there's like a bunch of protagonists. They can't all have their own bespoke rival, right? I, I don't right. know. Some human characters on Gaia's side, please, would be nice. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, like we're getting opportunities, but like I don't care about fucking Octavian. No, definitely not. And, like, maybe something could have happened with, like, Drew, but I don't think it will. Drew seemed like a very, like, one-note, camp-level antagonist. She might, like, get escalated. I, I guess she wouldn't get escalated later, because we see her pop up in Kane Chronicles, and she's not, like, the embodiment of evil or some shit. Punished Drew. <laughs> I guess anything could happen between now and then. I guess so. Yeah, because I guess there is that big time skip between Throne of Fire and Serpent Shadow. Yeah. Uh, do we have anything else we want to say before we wrap it up? Uh, I don't think so. There's these these chapters were mostly running around an Amazon warehouse. Yeah, which is like fine, but I don't know, not the most meaty. It's it's not the most meaty unless you you want us to seriously like try and read into Rick Ride and trying to say that hypercapitalist cyberpunk dystopia is inevitably linked to like feminism going too far tm which i don't think is what he's trying to say no we could say it but we won't (laughs) Uh, our intro and outro music is super mario ocean by space pony you can find that at oc remix uh our intro and outro music is by vera at insmith underscore in on twitter our intro and outro music is uh by moonshot pods on twitter it is uh jane i need you to do you think back to the sentence you just said uh wait what did i just say you said our intro and outro music is by vera at ends with oh. N on twitter 
Our cover art is by Vera at Ainsworth <laughs> underscore in. I said cover art. You straight up did not. I did. I said you... cover art. That's the second time I said cover art. No, you said it this time, but you didn't the first time. Uh-huh. You straight up didn't. <laughs> you said our... All right, oh, I'll believe you. I'm going to listen back to this. You'll hear it. You'll hear it, too. <laughs> We're hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network's... Uh, why do I... Fuck whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's a smooth one this week, folks. We're hosted by the Moonshot Network of Podcasts. They're beautiful people, uh, and we're part of them. Uh, we'll put a promo for one of their shows that we enjoy at the end. Uh, and also, you can find them at Moonshot Pods on Twitter. They also do Twitch streams. Uh, if you want to find us, you can find us on Unwise Girls at Twitter. Uh, there we've got links to our uh, d- email, our Discord server, our personal Twitters. If you want to support us, you can go to uh, your podcast app of choice, leave a five-star rating and review. Tell us uh, about you and what you like about the show. You can tell your friends also what you like about the show and recommend it to them. You can go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls to support us financially. For a dollar a month, you can get this the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Uh, on the bonus podcast uh, this week, we talked to one of Jacqueline's friends about uh, what a fucking weird mess the Far Cry series is. And it was actually a really interesting discussion about like how those games attempt to stay apolitical and end up having a very political message because of that. So I thought that, was a, that would be an interesting listen. Super agreed. A shout to Sam. Yeah. And uh, at $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all our bonus content, and a thank you at the end of episodes. Speaking of which, this week, we'd like to thank Danny, Tanner, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Riley. Yeah, Andrew. Do you want to make a podcast ad? I do, but what would we mention? So I think that we could probably put together an ad for a show called The Podcast Minds. There, but for the grace of pod, go we. You know, it's a podcast where we both pitch each other podcast ideas instead of doing one ourselves. Yeah, it's a podcast pilot pitching project. Totally. It's We should mention that it's a comedy show, right? Where we throw out ideas like getting weirdly deep into the themes of Jumanji. Is that one a podcast? No, no. Uh, I, I, it's, a, it's a podcast idea that is actually a front for me to talk to you about hyperfixations I got. Oh, that's uh, most of the things that you hit me with. Uh, what about instead if we just talked about all the different ways you could do a rewatch of Lost? Oh, that sounds like you just did what I did, but <laughs> you said it in a positive voice. Okay, and along the way, what if we pitched ideas like, I don't know, Epic Rap Battles of Mystery, the Lin-Manuel Miranda podcast? Listen to the podcast minds. There before the grace of pod, go we on your podcatcher of choice on the Moonshot Network. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! Every Friday. Hi-ho!